0: Good morning. Yes, how's that? Five verses, and he leaves 46 to me. I was like, I don't think this is fair. I opened my Bible, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> How is this sharing the chapter? Am I loud? It sounds loud, or is it okay? It feels loud. feels hot. Joel, or I mean Liam, is, oh no, you're doing the sound, hey? Is that better? I don't want to blast you away, and I can talk loud, too. Um, so I'm going through, I'm going to attempt to go through John, I'm not John 1, and then I'm not going to go through verse by verse, obviously exegeting each verse would take way too long. So, but he was sure on the first part, um, and as you said last week, the first part of John is different than the other Gospels, because... He doesn't start with the earthly ministry or the narrative of Jesus' life like so many of the other other three Gospels. He starts off with these weighty statements about who Jesus is, his superiority, his power, how he's God, his deity, his nature. And that's how John starts, which is different, right, than the other Gospels. Um, So I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. And I'm excited about what I have to share. I had a great time studying this week, and I have missed preaching. I haven't been able to do it for quite a while, Um, but I really, really loved my time, and I loved what God showed me out of John this week. So starting in verse 9, I'm going to make some observations of things that we see in this beginning of this first chapter. And the first one is that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. He doesn't discriminate. Verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So just like the sunlight doesn't discriminate on who it shines on, right? The sun shines on everyone. Jesus doesn't discriminate, and he is for everyone. He's free to anyone who will receive him. But so many choose spiritual darkness. They don't want the light. So many people choose spiritual darkness and unbelief. Secondly, we see what's in men's hearts and women's hearts. Look at verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Unbelief is what keeps people from receiving Jesus, and it's what's in the hearts of men and women. And unbelief is a sin. God says that it's a sin. It's one of the great sins of ours. When someone says, I don't know what my sin is, unbelief is a sin to God. So unbelieving heart, and that's what's in the hearts of men and women even with creation testifying to the glory of God. The Bible says that creation points people to the fact that there's a loving and good God, a Savior um, out there, a powerful God. But even with that, denying the existence of God. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse... Creation is amazing. When we see, I don't. We don't worship creation, right? We worship God. But there are a lot of people who actually do worship creation. But creation's amazing. The beauty and what creation shows us of who God is—His majesty, His power—that He made all this for us to enjoy. That He provides so much for us through creation. That alone testifies to the fact that there is a good and loving God, and that says that men are without excuse. So creation, but it's not enough to just believe there's a God, right? Some people believe there is a God. That's not enough. Um, Jesus is the only way to be saved. Jesus Christ, and through faith in Jesus Christ. It's also not good enough to believe that Jesus was just a man, or a good man, or a moral teacher, That won't save anyone either. You have to believe that he is the Son of God, Lord and Savior, and only through his blood and his death can someone be saved and come into the kingdom of heaven. That's why John spends so much time in this first chapter just teaching us about the deity of God and telling us who Jesus is. He takes so much time sharing who Jesus is because he's the only way to God and just thinking he's a man or a prophet or just believing in a good God out there is not enough. It's not enough. So I'm going to read verse... Oh, finally, sorry, transitioning on. Finally, we see the amazing privilege of all who do receive and put their trust in God, in Jesus. In verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus gives us the power to be sons and daughters of him. To become sons and daughters of God. Brought into the family of God. When we trust in Jesus as our Savior, we're brought into the kingdom of God, into God's family. We're adopted as his own. We're brothers and sisters with Christ, co-heirs with Christ. And that's the amazing privilege of being saved. So we see all those things. And as being saved, we have dignity. The world's The world may despise us and reject us, even more now than ever. The church is not popular, right? But with Jesus, we have dignity. Being sons and daughters, we can walk around with our heads held high, knowing that we have dignity. We have identity. We're not defined by what the world uses to define themselves. We're not defined by our accomplishments, our achievements, our job, or our degree, or our money. We're defined by, I'm a son and a daughter of God Most High. And that's what defines us. We're not defined by our mistakes, by our past, by the good things we've done. We're just defined by uh, God himself and his love. And we're rooted. Our identity is rooted in God's love. We don't need to find our identity in what others think or anything like that. We just find our identity in God. And He, um, we don't need others' affirmation. We don't need any of that. We're just loved and accepted because God loves us. And that's one thing we receive from being sons and daughters of God. We don't need to compare. We know that we're each unique. Everybody's unique. I think the older I get, not that I'm really old, I guess I'm middle, but the older I get, the more I'm like, everyone really is just really unique. Like, people are the way they are because God made them that way. And there's so many unique ways that God's made us. So there's really no point in comparing and looking at other people, wishing you had their gifting, wishing you had their life, and... Um, That's not understanding our identity and knowing I am a child of God and God has plans and purpose for my life. We get a new start. A new start. The old is gone, the new has come, right? We're a new creation. I know this stuff is basic, but I loved going through it again, so I hope you guys don't mind bearing with me as I go through again. But we get a new start. We actually, um, all of our sins or past mistakes are wiped clean and have been dealt with on the cross. I know you guys know this stuff. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags to God. Everything we can do to become more righteous, any of our good deeds, all is like filthy rags to God. The only thing that matters is Jesus' death and his blood on the cross. So we don't bring anything to the table, and we have this new start. We mess up sometimes, right? Am I the only one that messes up? We all mess up. We offend people. We misunderstand. We fight with our spouse. Um, We have sometimes anger, and we lose our temper. We mess up. But God is there, and we have this amazing gift of repentance, And I think that sometimes too often repentance is seen as this heavy thing, like, well, I don't have to repent because I don't want to admit I did anything wrong. But it's actually so freeing to admit I did something wrong. Lord, I'm sorry. I come to you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Receive his peace again, his acceptance again. Our wrongs don't do anything to our salvation, but they, they can bring us out of intimacy and fellowship with God. And we don't want that. Just like when we fight with each other, it brings you out of fellowship and intimacy. And we can do this to one another, too. We want to practice this with each other, just saying sorry and forgiving and walking in love and unity with one another the way that Jesus wants us to. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. The Holy Spirit really does lead us and guide us in all things. Isn't that amazing? in what we need to do next, in where we're going, in our career, in how to handle relationship conflict. The Holy Spirit is this amazing gift in how to parent, in how to love our spouse, in how to be a husband or a wife. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We don't have to try to figure it out. We really can just ask the Holy Spirit every day, dependent on you, Lord, how do I do this? How do I do this? I don't know how to love this person. I don't know how to forgive. I don't know how to, you know, do this or that. Or God, lead me. He really leads us. I'm saying that because I've just been like noticing that more and more. But he didn't leave us alone on this earth. Here are all these things you need to do in this mission, and you've got to figure out how to accomplish it. He gave us a helper. He gave us a helper. He's like, I will leave my very presence with you and in you to lead you and guide you. Isn't that amazing? Love the Holy Spirit filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit everything. Depend on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is wonderful. Such a gift to us. And God cares for us. God cares for us. He causes all things to work for good, even the tough things that we face. And being a Christian doesn't mean everything is going to be easy. I don't know if anyone has a theology like that, but hopefully you have a theology on suffering and trials, because it's going to be very difficult if you don't when we do hit some storms in life. But having this theology that only bad things happen to bad people and God protects me from everything else. or only bad people get COVID and nobody else does. I think we know that's not true. So we have to have a theology that we are going to go through tough things. That's just, it'll it'll just help. Um, but the thing is, we don't have to be ashamed. So if you don't have a theology on that you're you probably will still go through difficult things. Then shame comes, and the enemy can come in and lie to you when you're going through hard things, right? He can tell you it's because God doesn't really love you, or because you did something to deserve that. All those things are the tactics of the enemy, and just to cause um, lack of intimacy with us, with God, right? So we will go through hard things, but God promises that he cares for us. He cares for us. That's his promise. He'll care through it all. Let's look at verse 14. Or you can look up here, it's fine, because I'm going fast. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I know Hugh touched on this a little bit last week, but Jesus, the King of kings, all-powerful, creator, not created being, always has been, always will be, came to earth, confined himself to a human body, and became flesh for you and I, for so many reasons, for so many reasons for us. He did that willingly. He didn't have to. It's, uh, Jesus at no point was not God, right? He was the perfect union of God and man. So it's something we can't really wrap our minds around. Like how did he, you know, do this? But he had this perfect union of God and man. He was born of a woman. He was. He grew and physically, he was a child, and he grew. He grew in wisdom and stature, implying that he didn't know everything, but he grew in wisdom and stature. Um, he experienced hunger, thirst, tiredness, he wept, he was lonely, he felt rejection, he was abused, he felt pain, he prayed, he was tempted in every way we were ever tempted. Anything that we go through, he went through. Anything we went through, he went through. We can't say nobody understands. Jesus understands. Jesus understands Everything. He went through everything himself. Yet he was without sin. He did it all, and he didn't sin. He didn't allow unbelief. He didn't turn from God. He he didn't sin in any of it. So that's what makes it possible: this perfect union between God and man is what makes it possible for Jesus to be the mediator between us and God. We don't need a priest. We don't need a um, human mediator. Jesus Himself is our mediator. He's the great high priest. He intercedes for us to the Father. He presents his sacrifice to God the Father in heaven, saying, no, I know you messed up, but look, I died. And he presents what he did before the Father every day for us. Yes, they messed up, but look, I paid the price, God. Remember, they're covered by my blood. So he, um, sorry, let me just say as a man, I got lost. As a man, he was able to sympathize with us in everything, all of our weakness, all our struggles. But as God, he's able to speak to the Father on our behalf. I know this stuff is interesting for me. I hope it's good for you guys too. But it's his righteousness that gives us um, gives value to his his sacrifice, his his holiness, and his perfection is what makes his sacrifice acceptable to God. So that kind of hopefully explains the union of being God and man and why it was so important that he was both, in fact. And then he's the pattern for us on how to live. It's a difficult pattern, right? Because he didn't sin. But he shows us how to live as far as of Jesus. He was accused, but he didn't, he didn't speak. He was silent when he was accused. He came as God so that we would know how to live or as a man so we know how to live. Imagine if he was a spirit, how would we if he was just came to earth as a spirit, how would we follow him? We wouldn't know. We wouldn't know how, you know, to follow a spirit, but we can actually copy Jesus. He teaches us how to walk and uh, like I said, he was silent before his accusers and he was secure in his call. He knew exactly why he was on earth and he knew and he was clear in his calling and his purpose and he was secure. He was submitted to the Father. He yielded his will to God the Father the same way we are to yield our wills to God the Father. He, even when he didn't want to, he did the will of God. And he needed the Holy Spirit, just like us. The Spirit descended on him like a dove, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So just like we need the Holy Spirit, Jesus actually needed the Holy Spirit when he was on earth as a man. So verses 15 through 18 now, i got to get through a lot. These verses, uh, they make three declarations about Jesus that are foundational to us. The first one is that Jesus alone supplies all the spiritual wants of believers. It's in Jesus that we find everything. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. In Colossians 1, 9, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. And a little further down in the chapter, it says... In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it pleased God that all of our, we find everything in Jesus. That's the way God wanted it. It pleased Him. He he made all of His fullness dwell in Jesus, and He's our source. That means that the church isn't our source. The church is not our source. We're not, um, our spouse is not our source our Bible study leader, our mentor, our therapist, they're not our source. Jesus is our source. He's who we go to for everything. Obviously, there's a place for all those things, and obviously, we believe in leadership and God's pattern in Scripture, but Jesus is our source. I have to tell myself that. Jesus is my source. He's where I need to go, and so it's why we gather on a Sunday. We come to worship and lift up the name of Jesus. That's the sole reason why we gather on a Sunday. Not to be inspired by good talking or sing songs. It's to lift up the name of Jesus. It's to exalt Jesus. This morning, you know, I got a little flack about going to church. I said, no, we're going to church to worship Jesus. That's why. Now I know what to say to my kids. Not that I didn't know, but you know, you don't have to come up with those kinds of reasons. It's just, we're going to worship Jesus. We're just going to worship Jesus. Because we're supposed to, and then we want to, so it's good. So that's uh, that's how we can preach to ourselves. Because sometimes we have to preach to ourselves, right? Especially at daylight savings time, we're gonna have to preach to ourselves next week. I'm gonna have to really preach to myself. (laughs) Be like, get up and go worship Jesus. Second, uh, secondly. The second declaration in these verses is the superiority of Jesus to Moses. So the comparing of Moses to Jesus, which is the law came through Moses, right? This heavy yoke. The law brought some good things, right? They needed some guidance on how to live, and I'm sure it showed some of God's heart. But it was a heavy yoke. It was like a harsh taskmaster. You could never measure up. Who could ever keep all the ticks and everything of the law? Basically like a school person saying, nope, you got this one wrong, you got that one wrong. It's just, that's the law. It was a heavy burden on people. The law came through Moses. Uh, Grace and truth come through Jesus. Grace and truth come through Jesus. That's amazing. I mean, I love that. Grace and truth. Mercy and grace poured out to the whole world through the blood of Jesus. And the final declaration in these verses, this 15 through 18 is the most amazing to me, is that Jesus alone reveals God the Father to people. Jesus. Um, by knowing Jesus, we can know the Father, and I think we all know how many people want to know the Father, how much there's a longing to know the Father, the Creator, on people's hearts, um, and earthly fathers at times have failed in showing that. Sometimes they've been um, not there or negligent, sometimes they don't listen or care the way they should, sometimes you can't count on them, you have to be the adult. Um, we've all had different experiences, you know, sometimes they've beaten us or been abusive, Sometimes um, just in their words. So there's a lot of harsh, there can be harsh fathers where you can't measure up, but that's not our Heavenly Father. And everybody wants to know the Father. And here we see it's through Jesus that we know the Father. No human eye could look on God, right? Because the Bible says if you looked on God with your natural eye, you would die because He's so holy. You would fall over dead. So no one can actually see God. So how do we know God? How do we know His nature? Jesus. Everything Jesus did, it's revealing to us the nature of God. If Jesus was moved by compassion by people, God the Father was moved by compassion, is moved by compassion. If Jesus would sit with sinners and outcasts, God the Father sits with sinners and outcasts. If Jesus gave his very life broken to die for you and I, it is as if God the Father gave his life to die. So when you want to know who the Father is and the goodness of the Father, everything Jesus did shows us the goodness of our God. Isn't that amazing? Jesus did all that so that we could know the Father, so that we could know his power, his kindness, his wisdom, his nature, his unspeakable love for people, his holiness, his hatred of sin, all of it we can see in Jesus. So in light of that, What Jesus reveals to us about the Father. Can we ever give too much airtime to Jesus? In light of all of that, can we ever talk about Jesus enough? Can we ever worship him enough? Can we ever sing enough songs to him? Can we never exalt him enough? We can never. We could never give enough glory to him. We could never sing about Jesus enough. We could never praise him enough. Never. He deserves all the airtime, he gets the floor. He deserves everything, all of our adoration, all of our honor, all of our glory to Jesus. So I know some churches maybe do differently, and sometimes they're like, well, we talk about Jesus a lot, but we're supposed to talk about Jesus a lot. It's all about Jesus. And I know you guys know that, or you wouldn't be here, but it's all about Jesus. And we can be confident that it should be all about Jesus. God the Father wanted it to be all about Jesus. He gave him the name above every name. He put everything under his feet. God the Father is the one who said, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that brings glory to God the Father. That is amazing. I know I get passionate. I get really into it when I preach. (laughs) All right. You guys good? Okay. So that is the whole weighty part about Jesus in the beginning. And now we come to the uh, narrative of Jesus' life, and this is not quite as long, but um, now we're to the narrative about when Jesus' earthly ministry began, and it starts with John the Baptist, and I couldn't just brush over John the Baptist, because he's pretty incredible. Jesus says of John, anyone else ever, like, think about John the Baptist and be like, why would I want to be like that guy? I mean, he... Ate bugs and lived in the wilderness. He was crazy. He was like a hippie. And then he also just died. Like his head got cut off, and he had the worst time of it. I'm just like, why would I want to? And then I was so challenged this week when I saw what Jesus says about him in Matthew. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there was not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He was willing to be the least. It's so challenging, hey? I mean, that is so challenging. But I like the deep, challenging stuff. So that's what you get if you get me up here. But Jesus said it would be harder for anyone to be greater than John the Baptist. He is a picture of true humility. He pushed glory and honor away from himself. He didn't need platform. He had followers. He told them to follow Jesus. He continually didn't want titles. They tried to tell him he was the Messiah. And he said, no... Listen, someone comes after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. That was John the Baptist's attitude when people wanted to make him the Messiah and wanted to worship him and follow him and give him a platform. He didn't make it about his ministry. He said, Look, the Lamb of God. Look at Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's incredible. That's true humility, not false humility that you see in the church. And I'm going to be direct about this, but there is false humility in the church. There is people who think humility is acting weak or needy. That is not humility. This is humility. Don't look at me, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is humility. We don't have to wonder what humility is. It's not pretending to be weak when actually you're really strong. It's not self-pity. That's not humility, right? Self-pity is rooted in pride. That's That's a lot of focus on me and what's happened to me. I'm not saying that things haven't happened to people. We all have had things happen. But those things aren't humility. John the Baptist kept pushing people away from himself. We don't have a ministry or a calling like him. Obviously, he had a very specific calling to prepare the way for Jesus. But we all can be clothed in humility. We all can walk in humility and as a church be clothed in humility in that we're not trying to pretend we don't have gifts. We're not trying to be like, I don't want to sing too loud because then someone might look at me and I'm afraid of the spotlight. Actually, no, that's not humility either. You can sing. And you can be loud. And you can be clear in your gift. And you can be strong in your gift. And you don't have to pretend you're weak. That's not humility. There are Christians who live with this false humility and honestly can't just be confident about this is who I am. But actually, we're strong, and we're really strong. So let's be real and say, it's okay. It's okay to be strong. It's okay to be confident. It's okay to be bold and all those things. When it comes to humility, it's about pointing people to Jesus. It's about saying, it's all about him. All my giftings, everything I do is for him. I can be loud. I can sing strong. I can dance. I can do whatever. I can preach at the top of my lungs. I'm not trying to draw attention to me. I'm giving glory to Jesus. So that's humility. And I know I belabored that more than I thought that I was going to. I'm sorry. I want to say bad things happen to people. This whole issue of self-pity kind of hit me this week, uh, square between the eyes. Bad things happen. They, uh, and wrong things happen, and they're real. And sometimes we need a lot of help getting out of them. We need prayer. We need to talk to leaders. We need counseling. We need help sometimes, especially if things are really bad. Um, for me, I was very bullied. And I couldn't always talk about this, but now that I, it's not my identity anymore, and I've hopefully gotten past it, I was very bullied as a child. I was not like everybody else, I was intense, (laughs) I was, you know, I was very trusting and naive and I just wanted to be liked and I was very bullied in school by popular kids when I was in elementary school. And then when I went to college, I was even more bullied in college because I was homeschooled and isolated. I had no clue about fashion. So, I mean, if you guys saw pictures, you'd probably be like, I understand why she was bullied. I mean, oh, yes you would. No, you wouldn't. You're too nice. But I mean, the whole basketball team when I got to college, I mean, my jeans were wrong. I had no sense of fashion. I had blue eyeliner on. It was in the 90s. I had big hair. I looked like I was in the 80s, but it was the 90s. I mean, I was 100% wrong in all of my fashion sense. And I got prank called by the basketball team, made fun of them, this group of jocks, Christian college, lovely Christians, right? This group of jocks calling me, ridiculing me. They were doing the scream thing. So they're trying to scare me from the movie scream. If anyone knows that movie, I almost left college. I was really picked on. They would make fun of me when I was right in the same room. But so yeah, I was bullied, but you know what? It's okay. So you, I got better at my fashion sense. And then I showed them all. I'm like, Hey, I look better than you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Like, my style's better now, so it's fine. But no, I was picked on. And then I almost left college. I almost said, I can't do this. Um, And then I was also betrayed. I had some really close friends. I was betrayed many times. I love friendship, and I gave my whole heart all the time. And when I was young, friendship was everything to me. Now the Lord has taught me, find friendship in me first. But when you're a kid, you don't realize that. And I didn't have anyone to tell me that. And then I would give my whole heart. I was so naive and just trusting. And I got so betrayed. And uh, so rejection, betrayal, those are real things. Yours may be worse than mine. Probably rejection, betrayal, all the things that we go through that are really hard, right? And we want to give them to Jesus. We want to give them to Jesus. Jesus can really heal all these areas if we're willing to let them go. He can. A lot of times, sometimes it becomes a crutch. But we want to be defined by Jesus and not by these things that want to stick with us. I had to get a lot of prayer. I had to get ministry for a lot of that stuff. So I think I covered humility. It's not weakness. (laughs) It's uh, being like John. It's keeping it about Jesus. It's recognizing that whatever ministry we have, it's all for him. Our testimony is about Jesus. Then verse 29, we are nearing the end. How am I doing? I'm close. Okay. Uh, On verse 29, John's powerful, very full testimony. He says what I've already said. He saw Jesus coming. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That amazing testimony. We relate to Jesus, and we worship him for so many reasons. Um, He is prophet. He's king, lord, friend. All the things we relate to Jesus on the most, possibly the most important thing we should relate to him as on is the cross. The cross should be the main thing for us. I'm not saying we should not worship him for all these other reasons, but we rest the whole weight of our salvation on the cross and the death of Jesus. And sometimes we get familiar with it. But it actually should become sweeter and sweeter and more precious to us the longer we follow Jesus. I'll admit, sometimes I get too familiar with the cross. I'm like, yeah, that's great, Lord, but I need another word. I need another prophetic word to get me up today. Well, that's great that you died, Lord, but I mean, I already knew that. I think I need, you know, something a little more. I need something else. I need a little platform. I need something to boost me. The cross! The cross! The cross. It's like God was saying that to me. Vanessa, the cross, it should never get old. It should never get old. It gets old to me, some, not old, but you know, familiar. It gets familiar. The sacrifice of Jesus is the cornerstone. It's what it's our firm footing. It's our firm, solid ground. Uh, John says that John the Baptist said Jesus was doing the work of taking away the sin of the world. That was the work he was doing. Something that no one could do, right? No amount of money, learning, could take away sin. But Jesus took away the sin of all mankind. He bore it and took it away. Our sin, he took away. Psalm 40, verse 2 through 3. I love this psalm. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of a miry bog, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. That's the cross. That's salvation. Our feet are not on a prophetic word. My feet are not on a prophetic word. Otherwise, I would felt all the time. My firm footing is not, even the Lord of God is not my firm footing. That's a feeling. And sometimes I know it, but sometimes I don't feel it. My firm footing is the cross of Jesus what he did, and it's literally a legal document, a legal transaction. It, it's not a feeling. It's a literal legal, like, uh, he justified us. He paid the price in our place, and we, when the devil comes and he accuses, and he lies, and he wants to condemn, and he wants to bring fear, or he wants to bring guilt, we can hold up this note. No, I am justified. This is what Jesus did for me. He died in my place. Nothing you say is true. That's my firm footing. So we're, we're out of the pit, and we're on a firm foundation, so we have a testimony. That's our testimony. And when we have bad weeks, you know, this is what's going to keep us going, is the cross of Jesus, the testimony of what he did for us. That's what actually keeps you going. The Christian life is not a mountain hop high to mountain top high. We all want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop and experience with God and you know whatever kind of experience. But we all know, and Megan and I were talking about this morning, we all know it's a marathon. It's the long road that matters. And on the marathon, there's ups and downs and peaks and valleys walking with Jesus. And there are boring flat roads sometimes where nothing's happening or you don't know if he's doing anything or you don't know if he's saying anything. But the testimony and, um, that we want to have is that of perseverance and endurance. Endurance till we see Jesus face to face one day. And he can say, well done, you kept the faith. That's what we want to hear. And to get us through this marathon and the ups and downs is actually keeping the cross before us, keeping the testimony of Jesus before us and what he did before us. Verses 35 through 42, I am nearly finished. The beginning of the early church uh, is the start of everything. It started with two people who followed Jesus. John the Baptist testified. The first time he testified, nobody followed. The next day he testified again, and Andrew followed Jesus. He said, oh, okay, there's Jesus. I'm going to follow the Messiah. And then Andrew went and told his brother Simon, um, who is Simon Peter, who later we know God said this: his faith, his revelation of him is something that the church would be built on. So those two is the start of the early church, Simon and Peter. Um, Small, right? Just those two responded to John the Baptist's testimony, and that's the same way the church still expands. There's just one person testifying to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Look at him. He's the lamb. And one person responding after another to our testimony of Jesus. And that's how the church continues to expand. We all have a testimony. Just one person at a time responding to him. So let's keep patiently sharing. We have a testimony. I was singing that song this morning, I Thank God. And I was thinking, um, my testimony is not about me. My testimony is actually what Jesus has done. And that song, I Thank God by Maverick City, says he picked me up, he turned me around, my life around, he set my feet on solid ground. I thank God. And then he says, he gave me a new name, and he healed me and made me whole. And that's our testimony. That's our testimony. And we all have one. So I want to remind us this morning, we have a testimony. I want to have us... Can you guys do something for me? Look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm free. Say it loud. Say it loud and proud. (laughs) Not free from you, but I'm just free. (laughs) Now look to the person on the opposite side if you have one and tell them, which if you don't, it's fine. I'm free. So let's be free. Let's have our testimony of Jesus. And keep trusting. Keep keeping our testimony simple. Keep pointing people to Jesus and uh, keeping it about Jesus. And that is John 1. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.